on SAFM. Mr. Yeshan Pillai, good evening. Good evening to you, Songezo. Been great to be on your show. Great to have you back. You're making a habit of being our guest, and we thoroughly love it. CEO of the Chemical Industries Education and Training Authority. Latest developments with you guys. What's happening? Well, we have a very exciting um, Lissedi Youth Fund that we've launched uh, in celebration of Youth Month 2021. Uh, it's a very exciting fund that uh, seeks to address a very real problem, mm. and that being of historical student debt. Tell us more about that, please. Well, the, the aim of the fund is really to empower our young people across three different aspects of development. Uh, the first being uh, the problem of, of, of student debt, uh, which is a real bottleneck for many of our graduates who mm. are unable to acquire the certificates and as a result, they are unable to access the available job opportunities uh, that they may be able to um, to, to seek and, 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 and obtain. Combined with that is uh, the challenge of uh, work experience. And so the other two aspects of this fund is uh, work-integrated learning and workplace-based learning opportunities. And so we've got a 40 million rand fund, of which 30 million has been disbursed for student debt, supporting 552 learners across six different institutions of higher learning. And the other 8 million has been disbursed uh, to support 140 learners in work-integrated learning and workplace-based learning opportunities. How did you prioritize that? What made you believe or made you decide, for instance, that 32 should go into historical debt and the balance going into work placement programs? I don't imagine it would have been an easy decision, and there are varying reasons why you would have gone 100% the other way or 50% split. You've made the decisions that you have, the decisions themselves are agonizing but just t- take us through the thought process behind the allocations so we've always supported uh, work integrated learning and work pl- workplace based learning opportunities uh, in fact for continuing uh, bursaries for first year students uh, and, and and so on uh, we've supported about 625 of them for a total value of about 32 32.4 million rand and so what we haven't been doing enough is to combine that type of support for final year students, the missing middle as it is referred to, and who are largely poor and working class students. Uh, and as a result, we thought that it's important to balance the support in a more holistic, uh, integrated way so that we not only support one aspect of development, but we increase the funding in what we have not been doing, and that being supporting historical student debt. I think the priority has always been uh, for government to do so, mm. uh, from the department itself, from the National Student Financial Aid Scheme and other institutions. And so what we're trying to do is to invite collaboration, to say to the private sector especially that let us now work together uh, and not just uh, about talking about these initiatives, but walking the talks, uh, initiating these type of uh, student debt support uh, in terms of the Lesedi Youth Fund and then encouraging the private sector to join us and collaborate on such initiatives. You guys must surely be the MVPs in the NISFES office, aren't you? Well, you know, I think the main thing is that we, we've got to, to collaborate. Um, you know, this can't be a problem that is placed on the burden of one institution or one mm. sector of society. 
And I think the, the, the answer really lies in innovating, in coming up with new initiatives, in providing additional support. Uh, there are many organizations who may be offering student debt, but what we're doing is offering a unique uh, bouquet of support or services uh, for, as I said, not, not just uh, final year students, uh, but equally so those who want to, to gain work experience through work integrated learning and so on. Let's talk about work integrated learning. I think this is especially important in the light of the, I wouldn't say skills shortage, perhaps more a question of skills discrepancy where they might be needed versus the training that is potentially provided. I don't imagine there isn't a hunger and requirement, if not desire to work among the many people who are unemployed, a lot of whom have gone through even tertiary learning for the purposes of being participants or active in the production and the growth of our economy. But there is this mismatch. To what extent, from a chemical industries education and training authority perspective, have you highlighted as the challenge that needs to be addressed so that we can get more of these skills that are at best now potential to actually be actual? Absolutely, Sungezo. And our own research uh, from the focus groups that we've conducted, some of our research studies have indicated that over and above the skills mismatch, there are skill gaps uh, that are prevalent today amongst many of those who are entering the workforce. Uh, For example, many uh, of our learners or youth entering the workforce require problem-solving skills. Uh, Some require uh, communication or uh, teamwork uh, negotiation skills, various other what is often referred to as soft skills, whether that be human resource skills, etc. And so these uh, vital skills gaps uh, are addressed through work integrated learning programs. And by doing so, you know, the, the, the actual um, learners themselves, youth or, or uh, non-youth participants, are able to, to not only gain access to opportunities, but to be successful in those opportunities and also to go on uh, to bigger um, and, and new opportunities in the future. Let's talk about the fact that CETAs generally have had some challenges, and I don't say this particularly to Chieta, as it were, but generally speaking, the disbursements, timely disbursements with the employer to fund the employee or the trainee, there has been, and I don't know exactly where it is, and I'm not the best person to speak on this, but we have had a couple of seaters on the line before, and I think the refrain is generally the same from those in the training space. They don't get their money. If they do, it's seldom the amount that was promised. If they do do that, whatever amount it is, it never and seldom comes on time. There are clearly those administrative challenges in the CETA space. What can you tell us of the challenges that Chieta faces and is doing in order to have less of this account coming from the most critical client in this entire enterprise? Well, I can't speak for other CETAs, but what I can safely say to you is that as the Chemical Industries Education and Training Authority, uh, one thing we do is to prioritize uh, payments within 30 days, especially for our training providers. Uh, now, we, we must, uh, of course, understand the context here in the sense that, uh, just to give you an example, yes. 
we have had more than 2 billion rand worth of applications. Uh, our total budget is just over 600 million. That has been reduced uh, significantly as a result of the four-month skills levy holiday that was executed by the government last year. And so in overall, uh, we would probably have available uh, anywhere between 200 to 400 million rand to disburse to training providers. Now, of course, if you've got 2 billion rand worth of applications, not all of those training providers will be accommodated. And so we've got to then prioritize. And that prioritization is done in line with the skill strategy of the country. It's done in line with the National Skills Development Plan 2030. It's done in line with the Economic Reconstruction Recovery Plan. And so when we have on our side uh, top 10 skill priorities, whether that be for uh, chemical engineering in our sector, for example, we will prioritize training providers or uh, training programs aimed at those priority skills programs. And so what often at times happens is that those who would not be funded uh, would, would either, you know, perhaps not understand the reasons why and maybe, you know, that uh, level of communication mm. perhaps needs mm. to be beefed up. Um, but ultimately, what I can safely say is that one thing we do prioritize is that when we do approve, we disburse timelessly and ensuring that, you know, the, the money is, is disbursed to the actual training providers or institutions of higher learning. Thus far, uh, we've not received any complaints. We're going to talk about, I think, because a lot of what you have just said refers rather to the mandate you have insofar as it relates to mandatory grants. I want to spend a bit of time after the ad break, please, Mr. Pillay, talking about discretionary grants, because this is when you can really be agile insofar as it relates to the conditions on the ground and what you can do to try and mitigate the effect becoming adverse. 2139, Mr. Yershon Pillay, CEO of the Chemical Industries Education and Training Authority, is back in the final five minutes of this segment to tell us more about their work. Please stay tuned. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. On the line is Mr. Yoshin Pillay, CEO of the Chemical Industries Education and Training Authority. It's quite implicit in their work, what they do. Let's talk about in line with your mandate discretionary grants how do we first of all what are discretionary grants and how do we get to a point where we allocate grants to that discretionary beneficiary Yoshin? so uh, in terms of the the skills development act uh, of 1998 of the country which um, actually gives birth to the CETAs uh, CETAs uh, will collect uh, our, our levies from our industry uh, partners uh, in the sense in chemical industries it would be across our different uh, nine subsectors and uh, of those uh, of those grants that uh, the levies that we received a certain portion will be for what is referred to as mandatory grants in which um, your your levy payers your industry partners will submit work will submit workplace skills plans and after they're approved, we'll then disburse those mandatory grants for training to be conducted. There is a certain portion of that that is then administered for discretionary purposes. And discretionary is then meant in terms of the act to ensure that we respond to the, the pivotal skills, the priority skills needs of the country in ways of uh, structured programs. Uh, and so what we would then do in our case is we would invite a number of um, uh, opportunities through funding windows uh, where we would, for example, uh, invite uh, open a funding window. We normally have two or three throughout the year. 
And we invite uh, training providers, we invite other organizations. In our case, we are innovating for impact. Mm. Our focus is on innovation. And so we invite new types of initiatives that would significantly address the skills supply and demand that is currently existing in the industry. Uh, and by so doing, uh, we would then you know, follow a particular process of allocating these discretionary grants to uh, institutions, for example. Uh, I'll give you an example. Just uh, you know, in the previous financial year, we disbursed um, a discretionary grant to the University of Johannesburg for a small uh, business enrichment program, which benefited in excess of 80 small businesses in the chemical sector. And so we're not only supporting, uh, you know, skills uh, in the artisan development, which is critical in terms of the 30,000 artisans required by 2030, but we're also training and accompanying that training with, with enterprise growth by supporting cooperatives, by supporting small businesses, by supporting um, career guidance initiatives. And all of this is done through the discretionary grants that we disperse. Would the grantees or the benefactors of your discretionary grants extend to schools? I'm asking because we do know that our maths and science numbers are not the greatest, and I'll just focus on science for a moment here. For instance, the building of science laboratories in and around communities where there are very few and far between of these, if any, would such grants extend, particularly focusing on high school learners, so as to make a little more seamless the transition from high school to tertiary? In fact, it's a new priority for us, Songhezo. So one of our key flagships now is to look at STEM-related fields and, mm. and those science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, which is very critical for your chemical uh, manufacturing industries. Uh, the, the participation rate, in fact, just to add to what you just said, of young women in particular is 28%. And that is extremely low. So we need more, especially of young women in schools, to start getting, uh, you know, more interested, involved in your STEM-related fields, which mm. includes in mathematics and science. And so what we have done is we've opened up, and we'll be opening up future funding windows for innovative programs, and then looking at what are those uh, programs that we could fund, whether it may be, you know, uh, chemical-related yeah. uh, career guidance, as you said, um, mobile kits, for example. We recently funded um, an initiative uh, by IWAS in which young people, a thousand of them, were given devices, and equipped to those devices was software, data, addressing the problem of high data costs for learners in rural schools, and it was equipped with a CAPS curriculum for your matric learners. And so matric uh, learners in very rural schools where data costs are high were able to access though that CAPS curriculum, mm. uh, study for their matric exams. And again, as we invest in those type of um, discretionary grant programs in the STEM-related fields, we are actually addressing blockages in the talent pipeline yes. if those learners, learners go on to become the future engineers in the chemical industry. I like what I'm hearing. Yeah, stay on the line, please. I want to talk to you because I think not long from now, we might just have you as, and I don't know if you know the convention we have, hashtag Tuesday Takeover. I really want you to now sort of tell us more than what my questions might reveal in the work that you guys do. Tuesday Takeover simply involves getting a guest like you to take over the show 
in my position and engage a stakeholder of your choice to unearth more of the initiatives and work that you would be interested in or Shieta in this instance is doing. And I think from what little you and I have been able to talk about, I think South Africa is due a far deeper conversation to tackle some of the questions, which are national questions. But for now, let's say goodbye and say only thanks for your time with the hope that you will come back and agree to our request, Mr. Yoshan Pillay. I'll see you at uh, the next Tuesday takeover. (laughs) (laughs) Good on you. 2146 then. That's settled. Mr. Yoshin Pillay is our next guest on the hashtag Tuesday takeover. Lesejo, I've taken one day's work away from you. All in two minutes. Hire me as your producer. 2147, goodbye everybody.